Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Well, six weeks to go until one crazy weekend here, October 6th and 7th, hosted at the Orleans Hotel and Casino, brought to you by Finley Volkswagen and plenty of other sponsors. Finley Volkswagen is our title sponsor, and we appreciate their support. So if you're looking for a new Volkswagen, go down to Finley Volkswagen and pick you up a new VW. So only a little bit of time left until you can book your rooms. They will stop pre-booking the room September 15th. So make sure you get your room booked before then. We've already sold over 200 room nights. Uh, The place is going to be packed, jamming. And I wanted to clarify some questions that people have hit me up with. And those questions are, what is the cost for the event? Friday night strip cruise. Parking lot hang, meet and greet, all that, no charge. Come to the Orleans Hotel after 4 p.m. on Friday. Hang out with all of us there. It's going to be a great time. Saturday morning is the car show. The car show, there's top 20 cars and best of show. That's $30. The poker run, which takes place Saturday afternoon at 530, is $50. For your $50, you get a t-shirt, a poster, some stickers, and a chance to win your portion of $2,000 in cash money that we give out. We're always looking for extra ways to give away some money. So there could be a couple of wild cards in there. Notwithstanding that, that's the rundown on the show. For more information, for your room discount codes, all that stuff, I'm not going to tell you again, don't DM me, go, where do I go? Send me the link. Go to letstalkdubs.com. Click on the link that says showtime. All the information's on that page. Pick it out. If you're a vendor and you want to be there, vendor spaces are 60 bucks, 50 or $60. I can't quite remember off the top of my head but they are there on the website. If you're a vendor and you want to set up your stuff for the car show and have it out there all day Saturday during the poker run and all that good stuff. So that's the information on that show. Don't forget to support our sponsors that help bring you Let's Talk Dubs. That's VW Trends Magazine. It's a magazine for the people by the people. Lots of cool how-tos, plenty of technical articles. They've also got water-cooled cars in the magazine as well. So VW Trends like no other magazine in the VW scene that's out today. Go check them out. Subscribe today at VWTrendsMagazine.com. That's VWTrendsMagazine.com. And I can't leave out our boys, Jared and Jason with Ross Wolf. High quality aftermarket parts made for enthusiasts by enthusiasts. Guys with a passion for the business that decided to get into the aftermarket parts game. And they make some high quality stuff. Some really cool things. Viton reusable gaskets for your oil sump plate. Locking dipsticks, velocity stacks, pulleys, all kinds of stuff. Dash deck lid hinges. You've got dash bus repair pieces or covers for your knackered up dash in your bus. Go get yourself dialed in. Go check them out at rosswolf.com. That's rosswolf.com. Today's podcast. Squeege's Customs. You may have heard of him. They've been in contention quite a few times for the American Most Beautiful Roadster and actually won it once before. Squeege just happens to be the name of Doug Jerger's dad. Doug took over the shop after the old man retired. That's when Doug took it over. But the VW part starts when Doug's just a kid moving out from Ohio and dad hooks him up with some Volkswagens and he gets the VW in his veins. That's when Doug's car graced the cover of August 1990 Hot VW's magazine with his cover car that's raspberry and pink with splash graphics on the bottom and color matched five spokes. This car has got all kinds of custom tricks straight out of the hot rod world. And it was one of the coolest cars on the scene. You get to hear that story. Plus the story of how he got into Volkswagens as well as what it takes to run a custom shop these days. 
And you heard it here first, November 17th. Make sure you guys get down to Squeegees when he does tacos and nitro. And they're going to have a bunch of nitro cars firing off, free tacos and food and all kind of stuff. So it's a big open house over at Squeegees Custom. It's going to be November 17th down in Chandler, Arizona at Squeegees Custom. So make sure you check him out, support him. And it's a great podcast. VW got to the core. I'd love to see him get a VW one day. You never know. I might help facilitate that. I know he's got 50 projects stacked on deck, but listen, you could always use one more. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week. We talk custom cars. We talk Volkswagens and we talk Doug Jerger, the cars he's built and the time he's been in the VW scene, as well as America's most beautiful roadster and building full-blown custom show cars. Let's get into it this week. Doug Jerger from Squeegee's Custom, Chandler, Arizona on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Okay, everybody, so on today's podcast, uh, I've got a longtime VW enthusiast who started out in the custom car building game into Volkswagens. Uh, the name will be familiar with you if you're into any kind of hot rods and things to that extent whatsoever. He's He typically puts a few cars in the running that are always going for some of the AMBR awards, which is America's Most Beautiful Roadster. He's known for building roadsters, custom cars. Everything from A to Z. And so on today's podcast, I've got Doug Jerger with Squeegee's Customs out of Chandler, Arizona. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's good to be on. Hey, Doug. So the way we always start the podcast is because, it was, you know, so where people may be familiar with your car, especially if they've been on Bob Daniels' page of the cars, the custom cars of the 80s and 90s, in uh, mm -hmm. August of 1990, your 56 Beetle was on the cover with uh, kind of a two-tone paint job with some, it looked like a splash graphic coming across the bottom. Yeah, and, August 89. Yeah, so so August August of 89. So with that being said, knowing that you kind of, you cut your teeth in the in, on VWs as you kind of went into the, the hot rod world, we always yeah. start the podcast with the same story. What's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Uh, <clears throat> I've always been... I mean, everything's just been cars all my life. Uh, my dad, um, when growing up, I lived in Ohio. I was born and raised in Mansfield, Ohio. And dad had the custom shop there. And of course, he would drive home different stuff um, that I can remember. But anyhow, he finally, he divorced my mom, moved to Arizona in 74. He opened the shop in 64 in Ohio, moved it in 74 to Arizona, but he's always been a bug enthusiast, uh, enthusiast himself. He, he had a couple Bajas when he moved out here. He had a red Baja that was off-road, uh, Jackman wheels, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was more of a street Baja. It was lowered, um, a lowered Baja with three and a half inch center lines on the front, 10 inch in the back kind of thing. And Anyhow, so I've always kept really close with him. 
uh, in Ohio, I, when I was going to school, it was all about cars. That's all I ever thought about. And I would ask him, you know, it was getting time to where I could get my first car. I think I was 14. <clears throat> and he suggested I get a VW bug. Oh yeah. Which, which I think, uh, if you don't have any money and you want something cool that you can work on and actually do a lot with a VW bug is the way to go. So I worked on a farm, um, in the summertime and, and, uh, and then part of the winter, I had saved the shit out of my money and I was able to buy a 61 rag top, soft top, uh, bug from a guy down the street. <clears throat> it was, uh, all original. I can't remember what I paid for it. I probably paid too much for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was under a thousand bucks, but back then I didn't have, I didn't have any money. So, I got that, and from the age of 14 all the way to age of 17, I did nothing but work on it. I didn't really drive it much. I think I'd probably put, oh, 50 miles on it since I just worked on it. And it wasn't it wasn't like any of the bugs you guys seen. I mean, I, I was, you know, growing up in Ohio and high school and that, if it was always, if you were a car guy, you'd show up at school with a, a Camaro or a Chevelle, a Mustang, something like that. Right. And, uh, and once they found out I had a bug, of course, all the gearheads were making fun of me, um, because it just wasn't that popular in Ohio as it was here in the, in the West. And I'm sure they're, they're, they're pretty rusted out there. Well, this one was extremely rusted. So it got, I mean, underneath the body mount above the torsion housing, all that was gone. Uh, the back of the floor was so gone. I just cut it out and left it out. And then... Uh, I was in auto mechanics in high school, so I was able to build an 1835 for it. I think that's the largest you can go without boring the case, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, I think 1641 slipping slipping big bores, but yeah, they can. Uh, the 1835 well, it was, was it was your standard, but the slipping big bores is 1641 typically. Okay, this one was an 1835. Yeah, and uh, uh, it. it uh, I always wanted dual carbs on it. Couldn't afford any of the Weber's or anything like that. So I made custom intakes uh, out of sheet metal and tubes and shit and put these two Ford, um, two Ford two barrels on it. And, and they never worked. I never got them to work. And eventually I merged it into a four barrel and, that, and it had a four barrel on it because I, I just didn't know. Right. Sure. So, uh, dad, I think on my birthday, sent me a set of, uh, moon discs. So I put moon discs on it. A buddy of mine, dad was a painter. He painted it yellow for me. I put, it was the first flame job I ever put on a car and it was just terrible. The whole thing was just awful. <laughs> uh, it was so rusted. I could lift up on the left rear fender and the driver's door would open. It would twist that much. I mean, it was just, but that's all I had. It's all I could afford. And I just, more than anything, I enjoyed working on it. Um, after school, go home and there's, we had this barn and I would go, I mean, it could be freezing fucking cold and I would be out there doing something to it. Right. So it kept me busy throughout high school. And of course, when I uh, graduated high school, two weeks later, I had, I had moved to Arizona um, to go to work in dad's shop. Now, what was that like going from Ohio to Arizona? Uh, it was magical. I mean, it was, that's all I've ever thought about, um, being young that I wanted to move to Arizona and be, cause I had visited quite a bit. Uh, my brother and I would come out 
from the 70s and the 80s, we would visit dad for, he, they would send us out during summer break. Um, you know, the hardest, hottest part of the year. I don't, I don't even right. think I'd ever visited when it was cool. But back then, you never, you never really knew that it was hot. I, don't, I think our tolerance levels were a lot different. Like when I moved out here, um, I, dad still had the lowered, like it was like a French racing blue, light blue Baja bug, 65 steel sunroof with the center lines. And I fell in love with it and I had to pay him weekly for it. Um, the old dad, went, the, the old dad tax, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but dad, he wasn't lenient. Um, first of all, I got paid minimum wage at the shop and that was $3 and 20 some cents an hour. I mean, I, I know it sounds like went to fucking school uphill in this blizzard and all that shit, but this was real. I mean, I didn't make, but minimum wage, I had to pay him weekly for the car. Yeah. So that didn't leave me a lot that I could do to the car. I mean, the car was, was a running driving car. Um, but I was just in love with that, that bug. Um, it was a bitching little bug. In fact, if I had ever built another beetle, just, just for the hell of it, I'd probably just build that again. I think that would be a cool little bug to drive around back and forth to work. Yeah. And so you're, you now, you, you've moved now to, Arizona, you're starting to work in the shop with the old man and mm -hmm. you just kind of, you're, you're kind of at this point, you're kind of a backyard skilled guy, like doing it yourself. Nobody around right. in Ohio to kind of right. show you the ropes. And when, when do you run across your, your 56? Well, I had, so I had the, uh, the blue lowered Baja for a couple of years. Um, <clears throat> and and my skills had gotten so much better by going to work at the shop. I mean, when I first, I remember the first couple of days, um, dad wasn't there. He was running the hot rod connection in a shop he had in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And the guys, he had a guy running the body shop in Mesa, and he just assumed I knew what I was doing, but it didn't. Um, but anyhow, I, I sharpened my skills that whole year. So it was staying at the shop late and driving that bug. Um, well, we used to cruise central every Saturday night. There are two places in Arizona when you're growing up in the eighties, uh, that you'd go to the river and, the on the weekend and then, uh, or like during the day. And then at night you'd go cruise central Phoenix. Right. And it was, it was a huge cruise spot. Uh, so I'd go out there just by myself. I didn't really know anybody yet. So I would just go out there and cruise. And it was about one in the morning and I think I was making my final pass and this, oh, a couple of teenagers in a rental car turned in front of me and I T-boned them and just totaled the bug. Um, so with the money they gave me down the street from the shop, there was a 56 uh, Beetle for sale. Uh, it was dark green, bone stock. Uh, but it ran. So I think I paid 1500 bucks for that and started driving it. And later that became the pink car. Now, when you went to build that, I mean, that car has quite a few custom mods, especially for, <clears throat> I mean, you're in your early twenties building that car. Yeah. Well, that would be, let's see. I was 18 and 86. Uh, yeah, early twenties, late teens, early twenties, I guess. And yeah. That, and I mean, that car had some pretty custom mods done to it. I mean, obviously working in the hot rod shop, 
your your skill right. set kind of pushes you more towards hot rodding. Uh, and, right. and, and it's funny because at this time in the VW world, there's a lot of hot rod influence coming to the VW scene with, you know, the graphics, color matched wheels. And then I, I know on your car, you had the 39 Ford taillights and you had French headlights. Right. I took and welded the headlight rings on and made the bucket come apart or come out from the back. And that's, I mean, that, that's a, that's, it's quite a, a feat to do on Volkswagens. When you're looking at the, the competition back in those days, like the other cars in the scene, are, are you looking at stuff and, and thinking to yourself like, man, these guys aren't doing anything custom. They're just repainting it, putting it back together. And I'm going to show these no, guys what custom's all about. Or do you just have, I was own? just excited to work on it and do whatever I wanted to on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause this was, you know, the, the Baja was already done when I got it and I didn't, I didn't really do much with it, but this was an opportunity to, you know, uh, the couple of years that I've learned to do things that, the, you know, learn to weld, learn to do body work and, paint and that kind of thing so yeah i was just excited to just customize it you know and and back then anything goes right it wasn't like it's a 56 oval is sacred you gotta have leave it all kind of uh, stock looking but slammed so i mean i went i shaved the dash and uh one of the hardest things i did it doesn't sound like it would be hard but the drip rail on the cowl in front of the hinges yeah I cut that and welded it, but what I discovered, it was very difficult to weld because that's where they crimped those sheet metal together. When they did, that stretched the sheet metal super thin, so it was just a nightmare to weld solid. And then the back, I tapered them above the deck lid, and then, uh, yeah, I I just, it's like the the wheels. So the paint scheme, my dad kind of talked me into that. Um an article came out, I can't remember what magazine, but Stanford had done some renderings for uh, paint ideas. And we got the idea off of that. And, uh, um, I, I remember I painted the car. So back then we were using metal flake brand candies and, uh, what it was candy magenta C10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I bought, I think I bought like, three gallons of seat this was all lacquer too by the way right so i bought like three gallons worth of c10 um candy magenta and i remember cutting the top of a five gallon lacquer thinner can pouring all those candies into that can and then one pint of white paint that was the formula on that color oh wow and i put seven coats of that pink and then of course 10 coats of clear sand and other 10 coats of clear. <clears throat> so when we got it all done or I, I shot it and I got it all done, I just thought it looked um, too plain. So that's when dad started suggesting the, the goofy splash thing going down the side. And then the wheels, I wanted, I still wanted those polished, but I couldn't afford it. <laughs> so I just couldn't afford it. And so you painted them, you painted them the contrasting color, the lower graphic part, the splash right. color, which the splash color was like, a, is that just a, a, a not diluted uh, raspberry? It's just more of a sharp. I took, I don't know what I did there. I think I took uh, the pink that I had and then I had maroon toner, lacquer toner I added to it to darken it. And then as far as all the paintbrush work, that was done by, a lettering guy, Jack Dooney, mm-hmm. uh, local. And, um, 
Yeah, it's it's. Um, I wasn't crazy about it when it was all done. A lot of people liked it. I kind of wished I'd never put it on there, but it was too late. So, but I can tell you real quick. <clears throat> so I got the car all done, mm -hmm. and I couldn't afford upholstery. And uh, I took it to the first Bugarama, and <clears throat> they 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 flipped out when they seen it, and they gave me first place <laughs> and was and i was stoked in fact one of the magazines i'll tell you which one it is I, they they photographed me um standing there with the trophy girls uh yeah here it is here it's hobby w's 89 february 89 and they showed me <clears throat> because i had one first place they had they're like taking pictures and shit and i'm just super fired up and there's no poultry in it right <laughs> Yeah. Well, there was a guy who owned a bug called Sweet as Candy. Do you remember that car? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he protested because he was all displayed out, and mine was just parked there. And his protest was I didn't have a upholstery, which is fine. Right. And they gave it they gave the first place to him. Um, so uh, that weekend when I got home with it, or I was living in an apartment next to the shop, um, I didn't want to park it next to all the cars in the in the apartment parking lot, so I kind of parked it at the end of the parking lot sideways and put my cover I had on it. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, later that night, we went. We, me and my girlfriend, came out of the apartment, and I noticed um, all these pink pink paint chips at the bottom of the of the covers. When I lifted the cover, the whole quarter panel had been caved in on the passenger side. Oh wow where somebody had backed into it. So uh, that was devastating for me. But fortunately, uh, it turned out to be my neighbor down below. Um, he says that one of his kids probably did it, and he wanted to know if his insurance had covered. And I said, absolutely. So I got an insurance check, and, of course, I repaired it. Right. Uh, but I used that money to have it upholstered. Well, everything happens for a reason, right? <laughs> I guess so, man. And that... Again, I mean, back then I didn't have shit for money, so it was anything I could do to do extra work or work on uh, anybody's car that would pay me. It was all going right back into whatever car I had. And now, and how long? So you end up getting the upholstered on this car, and then finally it's featured in the magazine. It's got like a nice Alpine stereo system in it, and uh, yeah, it's got uh, the Scirocco seats and all that. Uh, yeah. How long do you? How long do you? Are you a kind of guy like you build a car and you keep it for a long time, or you kind of get tired no. of it and want to do something else? I already got. By the time that car is finished, I already got in mind something else. I can tell you when they did that photo shoot, my dad was super strict about uh, what time I would take off work, right? Yeah. Uh, anytime I'd want to go on a vacation or anything like that, I had to wait till five o'clock before I could even think about leaving the shop. So this, <laughs> this, uh, Hot VWs was out, uh, Robert, Robert K. Smith was out at Hot VW, or, uh, I'm sorry, Boogerama. And they seen, cause this was the, after I got it upholstery, I had it uh, at the next Boogerama and he wanted to shoot it. And it was the next day on Monday, but my dad wouldn't let me take off work. So one of my buddies actually drove it out to, uh, the Photoshop or, or the stop or, or the area where they did the photo. So I wasn't even present when they shot that. But another story with this one, this is the one 
<clears throat> I decided to drive it to uh, San Diego. I had never been there. And um, when I put the car together, uh, I never, I never, I mean, I pulled the fuel tank and painted it nice and all that, but I never boiled it out or anything like that. So on the way to, so it was San Diego, right? We we're going to go on Friday, yeah. five o'clock and had to wait till five o'clock. Uh, my girlfriend and I jumped in the bug. I thought it was cool at the time, the headlights to use quartz headlights because it just had that cool golden dim glow. Right. And that was great around town. But when you're out in the middle of the desert, it fucking sucked. I couldn't see <laughs> 20 feet in front of us. Right. So we're ripping towards San Diego and that's about a five hour drive from uh, the valley. Yeah. And halfway through that, uh, it shut off. I mean, just stopped running. <clears throat> and I had a flashlight. I was trying to figure out, figured out it didn't have any fuel. So I shined a light in the fuel tank and there's some blob of shit floating around at the bottom of the tank. And every now and then it would go over the, the pickup. And, yeah. and so what I did is I back at the engine, I pulled the fuel line and I blow air through it and it would fire up. Well, shit, we did this like seven times from getting all the way across the desert to San Diego. And it took so damn long. It wasn't, the sun was coming up by the time we made it to San Diego, but that was just a, that was like a, a long trip I took with a car. That, it was just an adventure. That's a serious commitment to get to San Diego, right? Like today. Oh, yeah. I've never been there. Yeah. I've never seen the ocean. I wanted to, and I, again, I'm young. I have the opportunity to do anything I want. And that was one of the, my things I had to do. So, and how long do you own that car for? What's uh, I think I own this finished for like two years. And then what happened to it? Uh, well, uh, I, I sold, I, I love the car. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed driving it. Used to take it out at central, just had a blast with the car, a lot of memories. Um, but I didn't have like my first apartment. I had a waterbed and a small black and white TV. That's all I had. Uh, again, I, I wasn't getting paid shit. I didn't, and any money I had went into the car. Right. So I decided we moved in, my girlfriend and I moved into a, an apartment together and we didn't have anything. So I decided, you know, I'm going to sell the car. And I had this great idea for a, a lower dune buggy, like a Manx style dune buggy. Mm -hmm. I'd seen like, a local guy had one and I really dug it. And, uh, so I sold the car. And I'm, I can't remember who I sold it to, but that guy eventually sold it to another friend of mine who, um, I was able to see it and, uh, around town. But anyhow, I sold that and that's when I bought that Manx style dune buggy. Right. <clears throat> and, and what was mind boggling about that? Like I, I sold the pink oval window for, I think it was $5,400. Yikes. <laughs> but back then that's like uh, yeah you cut a fat hog then. Money I ever had, right? oh yeah so and then i was able to buy a tv and couches and shit i needed um and so i bought this dune buggy uh probably i don't know it was around a thousand bucks but and immediately i started so it took me a little over a year to build that pink car this dune buggy literally took me six months oh wow and it was awesome. And again, it was lacquer, uh, and it blended from orange to yellow with some uh, stripes on the side, lowered. And this was the one that Bob Daniels really liked. 
Yeah. Um, and I guess I inspired him on his car is what he says. But um, so that one took six months. And I, I remember driving that and I had this conversation with a buddy. I'm like, man, I drove that thing for two years. And that means all the way through the summer, the monsoons. I remember it raining like hell, never had a top for it, but it never bothered me. Right. You know, it's like the older you get, um, you got to have air conditioning. You got to, you know, <laughs> what I mean? but when you're young, it didn't matter. Right. And, and it didn't, it, it certainly didn't bother you. Well, yeah, you're going to drive it. You're going to drive 14 hours to San Diego and blow the fuel, <laughs> fuel tank. Backwards yeah. Right. Together. Yeah. You don't turn around. You keep going. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So, yeah, so you have so you end up with this this buggy that you end up getting featured in VW Trends. I think that one's featured in right. It was in VW Trends, and um, the, but I mean VWs kind of stick around for a while because you you end up with some sand cars after that, and yeah, I mean obviously living in the desert like we do. I'm I'm in Vegas and you're down there, so we've got mm-hmm. Dumont up here, and you guys have Glamis down there. And it's like once mm-hmm. once you cross that threshold and you start messing around in the sand, it's a whole different ball game, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, sand, sand certainly gets more expensive. Oh yeah, and sand cars, sand cars are just a straight blast, you know, to be out there in the dunes. It is. And so you had also uh, your sand car featured in Hot VWs as well, right? I did. It was on uh, uh, October '98 uh, sand special. Yeah, it was on the cover. Yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I had since been out of bugs and shit since then. And, um, it was into hot rods and a few of my friends were going to the, the sand dunes. I had quads and I went down and I, the first time I was in the sand dunes, I had a quad and my buddy had a rail and I took a ride and fuck, I was hooked. I had to have a rail. So I came back and that's when I <clears throat> started putting all the parts together for the sand rail I built. And of course it had to be custom painted because i didn't want anybody to think that was just powder coated right so that all the welds were molded and shit just just over the top just stupid yeah but i mean that's you know that's kind of what you do and so with doing now let's talk about the business a little bit right so you end up working for your dad for how long until you find and, and well let's start with this where does the name squeege come from Okay, so dad, when he was born in Ohio, our background is Hungarian, German, Austria. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a neighborhood in Mansfield that all the, all the Austrian and Hungary people lived. And when he was born, he was brought home from the hot. They lived in that neighborhood. And his grandfather said that when he cried, it sounded like a squeegee being drugged across glass. <laughs> so it, it literally stuck with him since he was born and high, you know, junior high, high school, all the magazine articles that were on him early years, it all, that's, that was always his name. Right. So right. it's funny. So that's where, yeah. that's where squeege comes from. I dig it. So, and, yeah. and, and then he ended up moving out to Arizona. So he started the shop in, in like central Phoenix area or where? No, he, he, so he opened it up in, 1964 in Mansfield and then 74 he moved to um, Mesa Arizona Mm -hmm. which he was on the corner of Extension and Southern Uh, it was a a house with a a shop on the same property so 
And so he was able to start just kind of going a little more full into because originally started out as a, as a custom car painter, right? Just just doing paint work. Yeah, that that's mainly what he did was custom painting, and then he'd build his own cars, right? His own custom hot rods and that. <clears throat> then he was doing paint work, and other people wanted him to do build cars. So occasionally he would do a, a build a car, but his mainstay was just paint work. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and now he kind of like, rode that thing all through, you know, we, we, we spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, during the eighties when, you know, all the, when, when dealerships started kind of customizing cars. Right. Yeah. He got hooked up with, uh, Tony Corey GMC and they would give him, oh geez, he, he would get like one or two, uh, trucks or, or, um, blazers or, t- uh, suburbans, things like that. He, he got to paint. Uh, down the center of the panels, the square bodies, he would do graphics. And I mean, I got hundreds of pictures of jobs that he's done, but that was his mainstay of this custom paint he would do on these brand new vehicles. And then on the side, he would do show cars and, and uh, race cars, that kind of shit, you know, funny cars. Now, when but you... it was it was all lacquer, lacquer days, right? And I mean, that was, you shot it without a mask, you shot it in the middle of a shop, no booths. It was just... <laughs> A whole different world. <laughs> and now, what? So, so speaking of lacquer, like because we talked, you brought up lacquer a couple of times. Is everything everything now is water based? No, a lot of the production shops are, have moved to water based. I think California you have to use water based. In my shop, we still use salt based. I have no interest in using water based. Um, and from what. Uh, air quality control says that I don't think they're going to mandate it. So that's good. Right. Um, but well, it's, it's one of those <clears throat> EPA bullshit, just like the paint guns. Right. You know, they, they, everybody uses these HPLP uh, gravity feed guns. When I grew up painting, it was a Bink 7. And that's all I painted with. And in fact, that's all I paint with now. And people think I'm just nuts, but all these paint jobs these custom paint jobs i do is all done with the bank seven i do clear coat with an hplp just because it saves material but all my color jobs are, are the old uh siphon fake feed bank seven uh dinosaur gun and you just so, kind of like the way it sprays a little bit better for you that's all i've ever known to spray yeah i've tried hplp didn't like it i mean i paint all my candies pearls blends everything with a bank seven yeah so it's just it, one of those I transferred from or transitioned from lacquer to base coat, but kept the gun. Now, when you guys went from doing just paint work to starting to open up the shop a little bit, how did that transition take place where you guys just started to <laughs> well, everything? Yeah, so dad retired in 2004. So like four or five years before that, we, we got more and more inquiries on turnkey builds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the last couple of years before he retired, I see him turning jobs away because he just didn't want to deal with them, you know, because we'd already had two or three in the shop and he didn't want to do any more. His plan was to retire. So towards the end, I kept track of or got the information of people that wanted their cars built, but dad would turn it down. So when dad, 2004, he, he built a home down in uh, Hereford, Arizona, or Sierra Vista area, mm-hmm. and which he's still down there now. And uh, <clears throat> um, so 
he took all the equipment out of the shop, every last piece of equipment. Um, he made me sign the lease on the on the building, and off he went. The only thing he left was this four-post lift, and the only reason he didn't take it, it didn't fit in his new <laughs> shop down there. So, well, <laughs> so dad, Dad's going to make you do it all on your own, one way or another, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fun. It's, it's some of the builders I've met today. Um, I guess a lot of people thought he just handed me this fucking flawless, successful shop. Right. And he just walked out and it wasn't the case. Um, well, yeah, you've uh, got to, you've got to build it. I mean, whether there's a change of the guard or everything switches out, you've got to end up continuing building the reputation because you're only as good as your last job. That that's correct, and that's that's how you advertise your yourself is whatever your last job is will get you your next job. Right. You, you don't. I think when social media came, it, it created a lot of I don't know Facebook famous people where they go out and blow themselves how great they are, and then you go to these shows and go, "What in the fuck?" I look good in pictures, but right. in real life, it's just terrible. I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks that. But so when Dad left. Um, I had two, I uh, took out two credit cards and maxed them out and bought all the equipment I needed. I started calling all the people that wanted to build cars, got them to come back in and then started hiring people and started growing. So, um, I stayed in that, the shop we were in, uh, was in Mesa off of Broadway and dad was in that shop since 81, 82. And I went to work for him in 86 and, and then 2009, uh, you know, after the real estate crash and shit, I stayed alive. I dropped yeah. all the shop rates on all the customers to keep the cars going, which it worked. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I found a new building, uh, 10,000 square foot, which was, uh, twice what we had inside. So I was able to, uh, make a lease deal on that and we moved in 2010 to it and where i'm at today now when you back in those days and you've seen some change in the custom in the car customization world right you've been in the game long oh, enough yeah. to see where it goes from like i mean when someone's when someone used to want a top level show car that would go to all these uh you know these indoor shows and things like that 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 was a in 1990 that was a completely different build than what you build today yeah, you're right. Um, I, a lot of trends uh, change. Like, for instance, I had mentioned it, it, it was uh, you just don't do those kind of things to a to an oval window bug, like shave the dash and mold the headlight rings, that kind of shit. Um, but that that's the type of cars we were around. I mean, that that was the trend that you could just customize the shit out of a car, and it was great as long as it was low, right? Right. And it seems, I mean, I still dig the shit out of VWs. I still, I'm itching. I'd really like to have another. Um, but it seems like uh, a lot of them being built today, uh, they all just, uh, one guy, a buddy of mine, he put it, and he's a VW guy. He says, they're like M&Ms. You throw them out, they're all different colors, but the same piece of candy. So it, nobody's, it, nobody goes and does that. As far as I know, go and do radical shit to um uh, Right. anymore but that, that's kind of the way the hot rods are too so like it used to be you get a 34 three window uh coupe you'd hack the top you'd smooth it out take the hinges off all this shit 
but nowadays you don't dare do that. It's the same thing. You, you try to like nowadays, if you got a stock roof on a 34, nine times out of 10, they'll leave them just because, well, you don't see them unchopped and it's more of a Jenny car, but it's just super low and super clean. Right. Right. Which is great. I love it. It's just different trends. That's all. Yeah. I, I personally, you know, my, my attitude is on it. Cause I know that you, you work with buddy down there and buddy's got my, my split yeah. window at his shop and you know, my split window is like, how long has he had that? <laughs> it's been a, it's been a little bit, <laughs> but it's uh, buddy does incredible work. He, I remember hearing about buddy, um, at the old shop because ne right next door to us was Doug's bugs and bunnies. Right. And, uh, of course I stayed up in the VW world just by, after work going next door and drinking a beer with them and find, you know, just being up to date on everything. Yeah. But, um, you always heard about buddy and his paint jobs and that. And then when I seen him, I, I just, I was, it's thoroughly impressive. I mean, the, the work he does is, uh, someone said once that it was at the grand national, we had that split window over there yeah. for a slaughter. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody said, if he builds, if he starts building hot rods, all you builders are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you know, he does it do a little obsessive on the attention to detail. And, and Buddy built oh, yeah. a car for me previously, my my uh, sixty five Type thirty four Carmen Ghia, which I sold a little way ago. But I, I I'm I'm on the I'm from the same school that you are from the attitude of like they built thousands of them, so to customize one. You know, I think if a guy's got a vision and you want it and you want to kind of build it and see the look, I think, you know, there's plenty of them. Like I said, my split window's got a shave dash in it, and I don't need the yeah. starter button or all that stuff. And I'm looking. Man, at, that that's just unheard of nowadays. Yeah. It? Well, you know, some people <laughs> so, some people are going to be okay to walk the line, and I'm I'm one of those guys because, you know, in 1951 they built a hundred thousand of them, right. so it's not like there's a handful. Now I've got a car I just picked up out of Brazil. They only built eighteen thousand of them of those in the three years they built them. <clears throat> but my attitude is it's going to get, it's going to get lowered. It's going to be modified, but there's, mm -hmm. it's so cool. It looks like a baby Maverick. So the, oh, Ma the Maverick by itself is not a great looking car, especially when it came out new. And now they've started to, to, to kind of find a little bit of appeal because I remember seeing what the SEMA show two years ago and it was kind of a, it looked like it was built like for uh like like um, a road course kind of car, right? Like all mm. stripped down inside. It just had a good look to it. And the same platform as the Mustang, but it's funny as time goes on, some of these cars, I mean, you just can't, you just, they, they used to be hideous back in the day. And when we talk about stuff like this, I just automatically think of like the Mopars, right? Back in the yeah. 70s, like you got a Mopar because you couldn't get a Chevy is kind of the way, the majority and they were fucking terrible. The quality <laughs> of those cars were just awful. And now they're some of the most expensive cars. And I think that's what kind of really happens are. long term, right? Because they're so unpopular. People didn't keep them. People didn't save them. People didn't do all these things. And Chrysler tried everything they could, you know, from crazy colors to all kinds of stuff, which then added mm -hmm. to kind of the long term, the long term collectability of them. And and with you starting to, with you taking over dad's shop and then turning it into like a full, we're going to full build, what's the first build that you really take to the next level that you guys decide? Is it your idea to take it to the Roadster show or is it the client's idea to take it to the Roadster show? Well, uh, the first, the first uh, car I took to Grand National was my own. Um, when dad was retiring in 04, I was finishing up 
or is in the process of building a 32 roadster for myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, when he's out of the shop, I found more time to work on it. Obviously, I was allowed to work on my own shit when he was gone. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I took it in 2008 uh, to Grand National over in Pomona uh, and it competed for AMBR. Um, Ken Diggett was there with a, another, I think it was a 32 roadster. And that was before he got famous but it turns out he's a vw guy too um yeah <laughs> so that was the main the first time and then i i was like uh i was hooked on taking things to grand national so it turns out i only do one uh major show a year and it is grand national i always make it a point to bring something to the show uh, whether we're competing for ambr or just a new build that we had finished now- um I, now I've seen on your site, there's a whole wide array of cars that you work on. Everything from, it looks like. Our from, website needs updated. There's a lot more stuff than we finished that isn't on there. Like top fuel bodies to yeah. to, to Chevy trucks to, you know, uh, now the graphics, all stuff. Do you guys do the graphics in-house now? Yeah, I still do that. So that's, um, I got I got a couple guys that work for me that are painters. And uh, they do a bulk of the paintwork, but when it comes to either a full candy or, or graphics or a race car paint job, I, I do that. And that's where um, that's where I get the most enjoyment uh, is able to uh, um, being able to do those jobs because typically the customer leaves it up to me and I get the freedom of doing whatever I want. And uh, in fact, I got a split window, uh, drag car in there now, Corvette. That's like a pro mod, and oh, nice. I'm getting ready to paint it. I'm excited to paint it. And of course, I've already got. Uh, you know, you figure out the paint scheme as you're working on it. But uh, those those type of jobs, I really look forward to doing, and I do them myself. But like, if we're doing uh, just a metallic blue or a black or something like that, my other painters were excellent and, and very talented men. Uh, handle that so now if you let's say uh so you know i i, I recorded a podcast previously with, with dave kindig hasn't aired yet but you know when i was talking to him and they see they have there, there's so many hot rod guys that that are that started cut their teeth on volkswagens you yeah. know and and i think it's because you know obviously with vw guys like you said you don't have any money uh, you just buy this car that you can fix up yourself and do you the work. You don't have the money, but you have the passion. Right. And I thought the coolest build-off would be to get a bunch of hot rodders together and give everyone a Beetle and see what they do with the Beetle. Either do it your style or do it what, wh- whichever way that you do it. If you were to get a Volkswagen, let's say you stumbled across another Volkswagen for a project, what kind of Volkswagen would you want to build for your next Man, project? Man, that's a good question. I said earlier I wouldn't mind replicating that lowered Baja. Yeah, you don't um, see a lot of those. You know, lo, the, you know, here in Vegas, there was. It's funny because there's so many Bajas, and in the '80s, people, were, everybody's trying to do something different. And I remember one of the guys right. had a slam Baja, and it looks. I mean, as as oxymoronic as it is, it was super cool <laughs> to see it because it had the super deep wheels on it with low profile tires, and it just looked right. cool. You know. 
and I, I would probably do something like that. But, you know, back to what you said, if we had the build off with all the other builders that were involved with VWs, I think it'd be interesting if you gave them a very small budget, too, because that would be very much like what it was when we were starting out. No, right. I, I agree totally, because I think I, I think that's the core the core of and what's been driving customizing Volkswagens for so long was like usually it's people without very very much means and they'll they'll get they have to get resourceful with what they have around which is why you always see custom Volkswagens done so radically different i remember even seeing one right. one car at one time that had a shifter made from like a titanium hip joint you know what i mean Jeez. it was like you know like the guy somehow his dad or something was involved in the medical industry and he made a wow. shifter out of the out of the titanium hip joint or something that's like that wild. and it was yeah. just like but that's that's the story right it's like whatever they do they kind of take whatever influences they have around them and kind of build them into those cars and and you know one of the things that that when i finally look back at the 80s you know we, we talked a little bit and i i own future shock right steve connects mm -hmm. yeah that car has like and all, those were huge influential cars for for me and for everybody else that was in uh um into bugs those all those cars were huge yeah and bakersfield i mean those guys came out of bakersfield just with some wild cars oh yeah and it's funny because you know the vw thing is like this it's got this image of like the socal whatever but some of the mm -hmm. baddest volkswagens have been built outside of southern california you know what i mean you're looking at buddy shop yeah. there in arizona you're looking at the right. stuff that you were doing the stuff coming out of bakersfield there's even stuff out of the east coast back in those days you know the zz top bug and some stuff like that oh, yeah and there was there's just a lot of cool <laughs> trends and that's why i think that the vw platform is such a cool platform for a build-off because it's just a neutral a neutral thing that you could do and right, and, but but there's any if there's no rules, like you can do to it whatever you want, only within that budget. I think it would be, uh, it'd be very interesting to see what what would be built. I think also, you know, growing up and doing VWs, you looked forward to the next hot VWs magazine, the next VW trends, right? Uh, just so you can see like the show coverages and the and the uh, featured cars. And that just kept you amp, right? You just had those handy. Right. And you looked over them. I mean, you get them monthly, but you, you had like four fucking weeks. You looked at every every fucking word in that magazine and every picture several times. And you waited for the next one. The other thing you waited for was like the Bugarama or any other World of Wheels or some other event. Yeah. Where you get to see other people's stuff that being built. So I think. Um, if you were to do some sort of build off, I think it'd be important. They don't post any pictures on social media because, um, my own projects, I, I don't, I try not to post like right now and I'm building a Dodge a 100 pickup and I've been building it for 12 years. Yeah. Uh, well, 12, 13 years now. And I'm just now getting, I'm just finishing the paint work. It's a very radical build but I'm just not going to post any pictures till it's finished because there's nothing better. I mean, that was one of the driving uh, things you had was going to a show and seeing what was new and what, you know, um, nowadays with social media, it just dilutes everything. Right. No, it, it does. I've talked about that before. It, it It's you, you get so much overexposure before the car is even debuted. When people right. see it, it's kind of lackluster. Like, yeah, I seen it. You know what I mean? 
So yeah. I think I, I think you got a point there that that makes sense with respect to overexposure of certain things, especially if you're building something custom and wild. Right. And, yeah. and I think that would be a, a huge treat, right? To be able to, if there was it something is. like that, and then and then everybody debuted those cars at one specific location. I think it would be, I think it would be phenomenal to see what they could build, um, yeah. especially if they had no choice but to be resourceful. Cause when you look at so many things, you know, the, the, I, I, we did a podcast with Gary Emery and Gary mm -hmm. Emery is the son is the grant. He's the father of rod Emery, but the son of Neil Emery, which is a famous hot rod builder, right. Mm -hmm. out, of, out of Burbank. Now when they built the first, so they built the first Baja bug and the first Baja bug, they bobbed the front and the rear. They took front fenders, flipped them around, put them on the rear. <laughs> You know, they did all these hot rod tricks that ended up creating the first Baja bug built. And then it's like the influence of hot rodding has always, and, and, and true hot rodding, when, well, and I hate to use that term, right? Because it all depends if you're a guy with brill cream in your hair and, and dirty jeans and they're cuffed real tough. You know, and yeah. that's a different, those guys have a different version of hot rodding, but truly hot rodding, it started from, Kids that didn't have money wanted to go fast, and they had to be resourceful. So, you right. know, they, they they take the caddy motors, they do whatever they could, and it was like whatever would work to go faster and look cool is what they did. And I think that's such a huge driving force in the origins of the VW community. Because yeah, it, it was very much the same. It was what you can afford, and and you could do. Honestly, nowadays they take, and this was unheard of when I when I in the eighties you just didn't have a slice of shit bug that you slammed onto the ground and leave it. I mean, you always worked on it. You worked on getting the paint done and shit like that. I mean, nowadays the patina thing is really big and all that, but <laughs> I'm not a huge, um, not a huge patina guy well, myself I'm not either. I mean, that was, I would never drive a car in primer. You just didn't do it. Right. So, um, you, you, you took the time and you uh, made the commitment of stripping the body and getting it and having it all painted uh, before you'd ever have it on the road again. But, um, and the other thing with nowadays is everything is available. I mean, you can just look on the internet and fuck, they make it new. Right. So right. it just right. made it so much easier to put the car, put a car together. Like back when we were building these, you're at the junkyard. I mean, whatever you can find and use at the wrecking yard is what you'd use. Yeah, I, 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 I think if you talked about, like like we were saying, if you talked about a build-off of Volkswagens, you'd have to put the criteria that you can only get, you can only repurpose stuff that's built for another vehicle. Right. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I mean, that, you if know, you set the rules like that, like I said, it'd be very interesting how they come out. Yeah, I think um, I think you would see true creativeness come out there because there's also, you know, and I think that the most unhinged time for that, especially in the VW hobby was the eighties, you know, in the eighties, yeah. it was like, anything goes. I was telling you about future shock, my car, that, that car has got, you know, the one that Steve built, it's got power windows. Mm -hmm. It's chopped four inches. It's got French headlights, French taillights. It's got yeah. custom built bumpers. It's got, I mean, so a custom dash with the center console that they were making. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's yeah. so much stuff in there. And I think the only store-bought thing was, um, besides the wheels, was the the seats that are Cor Corolla seats, and then they've been yeah. all reupholstered. So it's like you look at the you you look at these guys, and they had kind of a blank slate, and thought, 
okay, well, I'm keeping it within the Volkswagen because it's it's one thing if it's got to kind of also fit the car too, you know. Right. So, what have you seen um, with respect to like the car customization scene that's really you you like now better now than you did back then with respect to some of the stuff you're seeing built now? Um, I have a love hate relationship with the quality. It's like the quality, everybody, I mean, the bar is getting so fucking far up. Um, and a guy like, like, uh, buddy Hale or, or, um, Dave Lane, any of these guys that build these cars that look like they're carved out of a complete chunk of acrylic. I mean, it's, it's outstanding. The quality that that they can produce nowadays and of course it has a lot to do with technology and what's available making the job better right i see i see that and, and there's really no excuse for bad quality work anymore um but what what we were used to back in the 80s um it was all it was all like a a wow factor right like bright colors and, and just radical shit done to these cars mm-hmm. but there were so many of them like door gaps didn't matter as much nowadays everything's got to be laser perfect and shit and but that's what people expect they expect the the perfect door gaps because every even the cheapest car you buy today has perfect door gaps because of technology right. so you're so used to that that that's what you expect whatever car you're getting body and paint done has the fit and finish has to be just that um so i see and, and but on the other hand it's like like I'm, I don't mind doing it for a customer because he's paying me to do it, and I take pride in making it like that. But on the other hand, like if I just want a car to bomb around in and don't give a shit, I don't want people to pick apart my door gaps or finish or anything like that. Like I got a thirty-four three window now mm-hmm. that I drive, and it's beat to shit. I mean, the outside it's got cracks and blisters and and chips, and, and the doors don't fit where the shit, but. I just enjoy driving the shit out of it and beating the hell out of it um, because I'm not worried about it. So right, um, that's where the I'm not so crazy about, you know, people are like, oh, it's your own car. I expect to see the perfect gaps and finish and all this shit. Well, that not, not that isn't always the case. I, sometimes you just want a rag you can beat around in, right? Yeah. And, and, and that may be why we have the patina cars. Right. Yeah, I I think you know I have a couple cars that are uh, that are unrestored, but they're still presentable and decent looking, and mm-hmm. I just like it's nice to get something you don't have to sweat where you're parking it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I, I definitely think there's still something about you know about cars that 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 to me there's some things that are most important to you. What do you think is the most important thing visually when you're looking at a car? that just has to make sense. What do you think? I mean, is it paint? Is it stance? Is it like, what, what is your favorite thing about a car? I think it's the stance the stance and, uh, which to me stance includes uh, wheel and tire size and overall stance. To me, that's, that's, what's going to draw you to that car. All the other details shit can, you, you overlook but if you're again if you're not seeing it on social media but if you're at a show and you see 
you know, 10 cars down, this car that automatically catches your eye because, man, that thing just sets so bitch and I got to go see it. That's what draws me to that car. There's, you know, in my opinion, that's what killed Pro Street. You know, when Pro Street came out in the 70s, 80s, um, and it was huge during the VW uh, craze in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, the, the big name guys, you look at their cars and they're fucking slammed and they look like pro stocks on the street. Yeah. And they look so right. And then this whole thing, this whole trend of Pro Street took off where people would just put stuff, big tires underneath near the rear engine chip, but never lower the car. And then they painted some hideous pastel color. And it just, just like hair bands killed metal. I mean, these guys <laughs> killed Pro Street. It just, yeah. Um, that's what, that's what happened. So to me, it's stance. I think, and then all the other stuff kind of goes together. Well, I, I tell you, I love, I love, love, love the pro touring look. Like for me, right. but in the same respect, I like things that are unorthodox. So I have, which is the worst car to do pro touring, I have a pro touring look 65 Buick Riviera. Oh, bitching. And That'd be good. Are you using the, the nail head engine? Or I have, so I've got the nail head engine still in it. And yeah. I've got, you know, and, and I'm trying, I'm, I'm it, and it's a fine line to walk where you, cause the easiest thing to do is slap an LS in it. Right. And then have like sure. bulletproof, reliable horsepower. And yeah, I'm telling you, they make a lot of power for less money. It's yeah. amazing. And, and, you know, but, but on this car, I started a long time ago and, you know, I've got some Bose forged wheels on there, you know, 18, eights in the front, 20 tens in the rear. And it just has. It has the it has the look to it, but it's like now it, the whole thing with that car is I was showing my guy because we're getting ready to put some airbags on it, and I, I've, I I own this car, so I'm a VW guy to the core. And the story All behind right. how I end up with my Riviera, I'm doing car stereos, and I subscribe to Car Stereo Review, and I get one issue, a 1995 issue, I think it is, and it's got Jimmy Vaughn's lime green Riviera on 54 oh, Skylark cars. Excellent car. I see that car, and there's just something about that car. I don't like white walls. I don't like wires. It's got both, and I love this car. I just can't like this car's just got such a good look to it. I I finally finish my bug, and I go to drag race my buddy who owns a VW shop out in front. I seize the motor up right there, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm done with this. I'm selling yeah. this bug, and I'm buying this Riviera. So I buy. My 65 Riviera, it's the most money I'd ever paid for a car at that point. It was 1200 bucks in a guy's driveway. I saw it there and I said, that's that car Jimmy Vaughn's got. And so I went up there, I bought this car for 1200 bucks in 1996. And it's been like, it's wow. been the curse of all cars forever. Cause it was like a, <laughs> like a hate purchase. Right. So, but right. you know, the, the thing I, and as I'm talking to the guy about the airbags, he's like, yeah, these wheels are just so wide. I said, yeah, but that's what's the best part of the car. Like the back wheel is so deep that it just looks good. The car sits hunkered down real low. Right. And it's just su such a great look. And I I love a pro touring look. I love a classic a classic car that looks like it could head to the track. Of course, with an X frame car, it's awful. And I've recently just been watching a bunch of stuff those 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 maniacs at the Roadster shop do. Oh, geez. But that's that's a huge huge checking account i mean that's oh yeah that's, that's a lot of fucking money if you're starting with a roadster shop chassis you're gonna yeah. build a two hundred thousand dollar car minimum no i mean i'm betting more than that yeah 
Yeah, I mean, unless you're doing it, if you're doing it yourself, yeah. But if you're paying somebody, it'll yeah. go way more than that. Well, and and that's where it kind of starts, right? With car customizing, it's like, well, we blew our wide on this, and the level right. of this is so high to do anything less than the next level on paint, on interior, right. on wheels, Snowball. on suspension. It's like you can't back off the throttle. <laughs> yeah, snowball. That's what you got to control that fucking snowball because it can get fast or big fast. Just like you said, you're going to drop uh, 40, 50 grand on a chassis. And now it, paint jobs just cost. I can't even afford to paint my own damn car anymore. It just, well, yeah, paint they, materials, everything has just gone through the roof. I mean, Roadster Shop just came out with a chassis for the OBS trucks. Mm hmm. I mean, and that chassis, I think, is 30 grand for the OBS trucks. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it, it. Well, I would never think anybody putting 30 grand into a, that style <laughs> of truck. But, I, you know, nowadays, nothing I've heard of. It just, it's gotten so crazy. Um, like I say, it, it's. What sucks is you get a young kid, and I got a couple of them working for me that are in their teens, just out of high school. And there is hope for the younger generation because these guys. Uh, one of the first things that impressed me, they, they know how to use a clutch. So yeah, that's yeah. huge. Um, but they're trying to get into this just like we were in our teens. And uh, everything is just so damn expensive, even bugs nowadays. I mean, it used to be you could go pick up a running, driving 365 Beetle for uh, 1500 bucks, but you just, I don't think you can find that anymore. So you know, all the numbers are a lot bigger. Uh, they're still cheaper than building anything else, but these guys are all into, uh, like, one of them has this old four-door BMW, and that's he's, that's his, to what VWs were to us, that's right. his, his thing. Is, is I'm getting this engine, I'm getting this part, but he's doing the same thing we would do. We would go to the wrecking yard, get different shit, and put together this this car. So I think... This tuner stuff is all all the same as what we did with VWs, and like you said, the hot riders did with the uh, early Fords back then because it's all they can do to afford it and make them go fast, and uh, um, so it's all I think relative. Yeah, yeah, but but just so damn expensive nowadays. Now I know that you like to. I, I know you like um, the thirty-two Fords. What, what is it about those 32 Ford that, that is so popular with all, all like the hot rod guys? Is it just because it's the classic one that's there? I mean, what, what's the, what's the draw? Well, it's mainly, it's more pre-34 uh, and down mm -hmm. was huge for them, mainly because they don't weigh anything. Yeah. So they're lightweight. You can put um, a bigger engine in them and, and be fast as hell. You know, obviously weight kills horsepower so um that that was the whole name of the game back then like hot rodding they, they started cutting the tops on them to get them out of the wind and they started stripping them of their fenders and that to make them more lightweight mm -hmm. uh, but it became obviously a, a styling cue just like mag wheels the original mag wheels were halibran cast cast magnesium uh ted halibran came out of the war in world war ii his job at lockheed was uh, casting magnesium parts for aircraft. And of course he got into racing out of, well, he was in racing, but when he got out of, uh, racing or got out of world war two and went into racing, he created the, the mag magnesium wheel, same thing. It was a lightweight thing. And as that wheel, 
um, as the designs changed, like the windows in them got bigger because the brakes got better and they needed more cooling and all that was, uh, engineering. I mean, that's all that was, but nowadays it's like the look of that, which is killer, just like a chopped three window that that's the look of it. But back when they did, it was a purpose type thing. So that that's mainly why those guys like those older cars. They're plentiful. They were cheap. They're lightweight, and you could put uh, an engine in them, a big engine in them, and go fast, cheap. So. Now, now, if you could pick any car to build, and like, like just to do something completely different of any any brand, any kind of car, what car would you? What car? What car do you think has the the leanings to be a super rad custom that you've never really seen anybody dig into? <laughs> That's a loaded question, boy. I'd have to. Man, uh, well, there's several. Like the Dodge A100, the one I'm building now. Is that going to be your uh, truck? It is my truck. Yes. What's going to be drivetrain in it? Uh, well, it's a double A blown injected uh, dual plug Hemi, oh, um, wow. Milladon block, all aftermarket. Uh, so it's roughly. Uh, well, it's going to run on methanol, so it's around 2,500 horsepower. It's set in the bed of the truck. Uh, it's backwards through a two-speed that goes to a V-drive in the front. And the whole chassis was built local. Uh, Matt, Matt Tom, mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine, built a chassis. It's all round chromoly tubing. Just It's over-the-top, wicked cool. Um, it all started Jimmy Smith. Back when Rod and Custom was still around the magazine, uh, they contacted all their artists they use in the magazine, and their <clears throat> assignment was to, to contact all their favorite builders and ask them what they would build if they had the time and money. And Jimmy called me, and I've always liked Dodge A100 pickups because my dad had one in Ohio, and I remember it, and uh, I always was fond of it. So I had this silly idea of, of putting the engine in the in the bed and the Enderly scoop coming up and peeking up over the the cab. And then when I was a kid, I'd always do these renderings and send them to Dad. I, that was, you know, when I lived in Ohio. Well, I always put these spoilers on the roof. So this A100 has the spoilers on the roof and the split spoilers on the bed. And then Jimmy, he, he threw his ideas in. Um, so when that came out and it was published and uh, um, my Rod and Custom magazine, mm -hmm. I started getting all these phone calls that I should build this thing. And uh, so back in 2000, I think it was 2009, I found a, a body. And in 2011, started tearing it apart, cutting it apart. And it's uh, and this, again, back to what you can afford um, – the chassis costs so damn much money because I'm paying another guy to build it. So now I know what it feels like being on the other side of the counter. Right. It's right. like, <laughs> and this is why it's taken so long because, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm running a business and, and, uh, making a living and any money, I extra money I would get, I would give to him. And, and I, it took him like six years to build the chassis, not because he took that long, just because, Whenever I would get enough money and I would throw it at something stupid, that that's why it took so damn long. You know, I was never, it was one of those, again, a snowball where you started doing it, but 
once you got going, I was like, fuck, I'm pregnant with this. So I got to finish it. Right. So <laughs> right. now I'm finally to a point where I got the body and paint. Um, in fact, the, the body is in my garage because um, I don't have any room down at the shop. That's how busy we are. So I'm doing finishing up all the pinstriping and that on the on the body here. And then the chassis is still at the shop. And I'm trying to get it done for next year, it, at least try to have it finished and done for next year. So the question is, what would I build? Yeah. Um, man, there's so many cars. Uh, probably something radical. You know what I'd really like to do is um, – like a 40 Ford, uh, yeah. that that's built like a funny car, but on the street to me, I think that would just be, um, I, I got a huge thing for early funny cars and early front engine dragsters and shit. So yeah, that type of styling, I just really dig it. So anything with that kind of power and, and setup, I think, um, you can do that just about to any car and it'll look killer. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Well, I, I tell you, um, so I, I'd love to see you get another Volkswagen one day. And uh, if I, you... you know what? I think I will eventually. I just have too many irons in the fire between the A100. I bought uh, uh, last year, I bought a uh, famous uh, top fuel altered uh, cars panic that used to run uh, all the events in, in California back in like early seventies. Anyhow, the car came for sale. I bought it. It's the original car. I'm going to restore it. So between the Dodge A100 and then this panic fuel altered car, which I'd like to restore back the way it was and go cackle it. Yeah. Um, and once that's done and I have time, I've always been looking for like a, uh, what year did they make the steel sunroofs? Wasn't it like 60, 64 and late. so 64 is a small window steel sunroof car. That, so yeah. Right. So yeah. if I can find one of those, if I come across one of them bodies, I'd probably buy it and set it aside and just start collecting parts. Um, I'll keep, really an, like I'll keep an another, eye out for you. <laughs> yeah. I'd really like to do another lowered bar, obviously with better quality and better engine and just, you know, so, you know, I think that's, but I think that's something that, you know, a lot of if, if people have never seen it, they don't know how cool it could look. And right. I think that's one thing that you, I can't recall the last time I saw a lowered ball. I think I might have saw a picture of one on Instagram not long ago, yeah. but uh, I tell you, it's definitely, it's definitely a cool look, man. And uh, matter of fact, there was one at, at the Volks World Show in England this last year. That's where I remember seeing one. And it was, it was all the way in England. It was super cool. I'll send you some pictures of it so you can know, yeah. so you can see what because the guy went wild with the paint. So anything, but uh, no, Squeege, man. I hey, I I mean, uh, Doug, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, I think it's I think it's awesome. I'm looking forward. To next time I'm going to be down in Arizona, I'm gonna stop by the shop. Yeah, and, definitely uh, do it. Well, I got to announce uh, every other year we do tacos and nitro this year and. November 17th, uh, Friday night of good guys. We throw this huge event where we got top fuel cars and it's free beer. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to go see top fuel cars light. And, and, uh, but anyhow, it's my big open house every year. And this year is going to be huge. I think I got like eight fuel cars going to fire off, uh, this year. So, so they, so you get all these top fuel cars out there and they just fire them up and everybody gets the smell yeah. of nitro oh, yeah. and, uh, nitro methane, and then you have, 
a couple taco trucks. Last time, I think we had over a thousand people. I mean, it spreads throughout the whole well, industrial park. Time, and, and I think that's the same. Is that the same weekend that Dino does the get down? No, uh-uh. he does it on a different weekend. So, because I know they would do that. The, the the get down started the the weekend before the good guys event, right? And so yeah, and they and I I, I would have my event because I've been doing it since shit 2010. So I I've had I remember when Dino's was going at the same time and like in the middle of uh, the night, I get this flood of all these trucks and cars coming in that <laughs> were at Dino's and then came over and finished the night at our place. So yeah, it's why. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try to see if I, and when's that going to be? It's going to be November 7th. You said November 17th. That's uh, uh, the weekend of good guys there in Scottsdale. So good guys weekend, head over to squeegees for some tacos yeah, and Friday nitro night. Friday, Friday night, night kickoff party is before the event. Good. Well, I will definitely, uh, I'll put a reminder and I'll announce it on my podcast. Anybody that's going to be out That'd there be awesome. for, for those events to stop by and check it out. And who knows, maybe uh, I might get lucky because that's, I think that's two weeks after SEMA. Yeah, I think you're right. So uh, I'll, 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 I'll do what I can to be there, man. That'd be awesome. To yeah, you're not it. that far away. Come down, check it out. No, it's too, it's too close not to just take a little cruise down there. So yeah, that's right. Well, Doug, man, thanks for, thanks for all your time. And uh, I look forward well, to it good time I'm, I'm glad you let me spew some of my stories i've had with vw uh growing up with vw's and um that was a lot of fun i love it man i love it well maybe we'll maybe i'll be dragging you down a sunroof car a body yeah there you go <laughs> all right well i appreciate it brother have a have a have a good rest of your day okay you do the same i hope you guys enjoyed that podcast because i sure do love finding top quality guys in the automotive restoration industry that started out as Volkswagen dudes and they're building some of the top level stuff to this day. And it all starts, a lot of it starts at the genesis of Volkswagen. So to support Let's Talk Dubs, go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up some merch, register for one crazy weekend and get ready for October 6th and 7th at the Orleans Hotel Casino. It's going to be off the chain. So until next week, guys, later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Volkswagen.